Welcome to Baseball and Beyond, and today a pleasure and honestly a thrill to talk to a Hall of Fame pitcher, Don Sutton. Don, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Look forward to it. It's been a while since we did our shadow television show a few years ago. I will show that. In 1994, I head to Atlanta, and I'm, I'm a young guy doing a public access show at that time, and my camera guy was a friend of mine in high school, and didn't really know how to use the white balance. So now we're going to do radio. There's no way, of, unless I screw this up, then that's going to be the and problem. there's nobody talking in our ears as we do this. When you look at uh, baseball history, games started, there's three names. Starts with Cy Young, then Nolan Ryan, then Don Sutton. When you think of that, what, what does that conjure up in your mind that that's where your career is? You're with those two guys, you're number three. Well, I, I think so much of what I tried to do as a pitcher was be ready to go and take my turn when it was my turn and do whatever I could to make sure that I took my turn. And I think I did my number in, in uh, a few less years than did Nolan and Cy Young. But when I think about the good things that have happened, maybe some records, uh, the Hall of Fame, Dodger records, the numbers are not as important to me as the people whose names were there ahead of me. That's that's what always motivated me. When I was a kid wanting to play, I wanted to be Robin Roberts because he was consistent and dependable. You know, I wanted to be Whitey Ford because he was crafty and knew how to get people out. I wanted to be Camilo Pasquale. So uh, I really learned to pitch off radio, and I learned from the perception I got listening to people. But again, it all boiled down to those were the people. It's not so much winning 20 or winning 300 it was these guys have done it and I want to be like them you start your career in the in the Dodgers uh, organization Don Drysdale Sandy Koufax Claude Austin Don Sutton you're a rookie in 66 I mean what was that like to be pitching every fourth day behind those guys you want the truth or you want me to give you the the, (laughs) what you're supposed to tell the public answer tell us how the legs were shaking and how many times you had to change your shorts probably (laughs) neither my legs weren't shaking okay because uh and again it doesn't sound very humble but i was always taught to aim high and expect to make it so i thought i could pitch in the big leagues at 15 which obviously it wasn't true but that's when i decided i wanted to do it and when i got there you know when i got there I'll always be grateful to those three guys for not letting me embarrass myself and not making me feel like uh, that I shouldn't be there. They all encouraged me. Uh, Drysdale was like a big brother. Sandy was a standard bearer. And Claude was a good old country boy from Tennessee who knew, who could understand me when I talked. So, But I felt like I belonged. I felt like I belonged. And somebody said, were you surprised to be there? Well, that's like asking me if I leave St. Louis here and drive to Louisville, Kentucky, and I have a road map, am I surprised when I get there? No, it's where I was headed all along. So was I fortunate to be there? Yes. But was I surprised? No, absolutely not. What was it like, though, to see what they were doing, and does it make you a better pitcher that early in your career to, to watch and see how they go about their business? Because we're talking the, the two, two of the greatest of all-time names. It doesn't change when you talk Drysdale and Koufax. Well, and Claude Osteen gets left out a lot, but I think we were the only starting rotation ever to finish our career with 40-plus shutouts. So Claude was a great addition. And by heck, yes, I learned a lot from those guys. I watched how they went about their business. I watched how they prepared. I watched how they competed. I asked questions. Uh, I got jerked around by them and kidded like I'd been there for five years with them. And that meant, the acceptance meant a lot to me because they were saying to me, hey, you're not just some drop-in kid. You're a kid we're going to count on for a few years. So their acceptance meant a lot to me. You're in L.A., and that means there's going to be opportunities for acting and all kinds of things. I had no idea you became a panelist on the match game. I really 
This is the only reason I came to... No, I'm kidding. But I really am interested in how that came about and how much fun that was. And uh, maybe we can do a little match game here today. But the, the, the experience was blank. <laughs> but how did it happen? And, and tell me about Richard Dawson and uh, all those everything that was going on back then. Well, they were great people. I never had, did have the uh, desire to be an actor, though I was in Fantasy Island and some of the kids' shows. And I have a 12-second part in a Jerry Lewis movie. If you blink, you miss it. But... That, I loved the match game. On the road, it was on every morning. And I'd make sure nobody interrupted my watching the match game. So we were postseason playing. I, I'm trying to think. It was a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production. We're maybe in New York or wherever we were, postseason. And I'm watching it. So I pick up the phone and I call Mark Goodson, Bill Todman, the company. And the lady answers. And uh, uh, Mark Goodson came on the phone. He said, the heck? No, he didn't say what the heck. He said, what the hell are you doing? How come you're not getting ready to go to the park? I said, well, it's not till tonight. What are you doing? I said, I'm watching your show. And I'm wondering what I have to do to get on your show. He said, uh, season ends on Sunday, I think. He said, what are you doing Monday or Tuesday? I said, nothing. He said, let's have lunch and let's talk about it. So I went and talked to him and told him I was such a fan of the show. And then I became almost like the John Havelcheck. If somebody called on Thursday and said, we can't tape Sunday, he would call and say, can you do it? And I loved it. I loved the show. Everybody on there was just friendly and witty, far wittier than I was. I know I wasn't, I wasn't that funny. But uh, Dawson, was, Dawson stood alone. Uh, just so many of them on there. Uh, Fanny Flagg was outstanding. Betty White was. They were all the best. And, again, the acceptance part. When they, were, when they would write me lousy answers and slide it over if I looked stuck, and then I would come out with it, and they would go, oh, gee, I can't believe he said that. We had another dumb jock on the show. I knew I'd been accepted, but it's one of the most fun experiences of my life. Yeah, did you keep in touch with those guys? Like Betty White's still around. Uh, Richard Dawson was around for a while until a couple years back. Did you get to continue to stay in touch with those people? As long as I was in California, yes, but uh, I've been in Atlanta now since 1989, so... Uh, not really. I don't. Uh, they're old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you end up being an Atlanta broadcaster, which I found interesting because uh, there is no. I don't. You did not play for the Braves, but you end up on the uh, Superstation, and that's how we all hear you there. And uh, now you're on the radio. Just tell me a little bit about uh, getting into radio right after your career ended. Well, I became a sixty. Let's see. I became a 19-year overnight success. In 1969, I decided I like broadcasting. I wanted to try. So I was a weekend country music disc jockey in the hotbed of country music, Burbank, California. <laughs> That's how I got started on the radio. And then uh, a little bit later on, I was interested. I wrote and produced and went on the air with KNX Radio in Los Angeles, uh, the pregame, postgame show for the World Series. So that was my experience. But I always enjoyed broadcasting. I wanted to be in baseball. I didn't have the $15 million it took to be an owner. And at that time, it would have been difficult for me to get an entry-level position in what I really want to do, and that's run the minor league. So I want to keep going to the ballpark. I love broadcasting. And it, my being with the Braves, well, I'm from the South. They were the only ones I could be getting ready to pitch in Los Angeles and watch them come on the air and watch two hours of baseball, then go pitch. And I, I love the... The seemingly the fellowship and the sense of camaraderie that Pete and Ernie and Skip had. I, I just love that. And so in 1976, I believe it was, I was getting ready to pitch in Atlanta, and Pete came over. I was out for BP. And Pete said, uh, can I get you for a couple minutes for our pregame show? And I said, Pete, 
I don't usually do it when I'm pitching. He said, okay, no problem. I said, here, sit down, let's talk. So I did a radio show with Pete, and as we're starting to break up and walk away, I don't know where this came from, but I said to him, you know, Pete, someday we're going to work together. <laughs> and 13 years later, it was the one place in broadcasting I wanted to be. I could have stayed in Los Angeles and done some stuff there, but I want to come back to the South, uh, born in Alabama, grew up in Pensacola, Florida, and the, the South kept calling to go back to that style of living. And that's how I ended up with uh, TBS. And then uh, when Skip died, it's a lousy way to, ha to get, get the privilege of having a job interview, but uh, I told the Braves I would come back if they could get me out of my deal at Washington, but only as radio. I did, did not want guys talking in both ears while I'm trying to do the game. Yeah, a couple more minutes with you. Appreciate your time as always. Uh, we're talking about your career, and uh, it, to me, I know you've been asked a million times. I'm going to ask a million one. You know, you don't get into the Hall of Fame right away, and I, I don't understand it. But Blylevin Blylevin had the same thing. Does it does it matter anymore? Did it matter then that that, that you weren't uh, right away in, uh, and you get to go now, and and you're no one really remembers when that happened. Well, the first two years it mattered. Uh, I, that's wrong. The first year it didn't matter because I had a daughter in the hospital who was born 16 weeks early. So I don't care what was going on in the world. I was at the hospital every morning and in it every day. So I didn't. I wasn't even aware it was the day of the voting. So the second year it mattered. It, it hurt some. Third and fourth year I didn't even think about it. And the fifth year when it came about, it was a goal to be there. And uh, to be honest, I didn't remember how much time had elapsed. It could have been 20 minutes. It could have been five years. I, I didn't know. It's something I always wanted to do. And people talk about, well, when you ask players now this, what would you like? Oh, I'm just happy to be here. I just want to I just want to do the best I can. Well, I'm a goal-oriented person. I need something out there to chase. I wanted to win 20. I wanted to win 300. And I wanted to go to the Hall of Fame. I've always wanted to go to the Hall of Fame. So uh, knowing some of the people and competing against some of the people that were there made me all the more driven. Mike Shannon has a story about you, evidently. Do you know that story? I mean, did you guys have some sort of brawl back in the day, or is that was that was he thinking of someone else? Oh no, we didn't have a brawl. I'm too I'm too much of a coward to have a brawl. But I remember a night I threw him two quick curveballs, strike one, strike two, and he dove in to get another curveball, and I hit him and broke his thumb with a fastball that was nearly a strike, and he was bigger than me and threatened me. So, but the strange thing about that whole story, it was you know few names he did not call me a Sunday school teacher, but he called me a few names. And so I'm going out to dinner with some people later uh, in a mafia-style Italian restaurant. And I come in and sit down, and I look over there, and there's Sid Shannon. <laughs> and I go, I kind of decide I want to sit in the other part of the room. But uh, a good friend since then, he is, uh, I've been exploring a venture that he and his daughter have been very helpful. They've been almost like consultants. But you want to hear the funniest part of that story, when I, when I did get to the Hall of Fame, I go to Bob Gibson, and Gibson hit me in the ribs the next time up. I said, you hit me in the ribs when we were playing in L.A. He said, I did not. I said, you did. And he, he said, well, why would I do that? I said, well, I think it's because I broke Mike Shannon's thumb the inning before. He said, it couldn't be that. I didn't even like the SOB. <laughs> so that's the kind of fellowship and camaraderie and the needling that went on. But it, that's probably the story he was talking about. Yeah, he's, he's got a million of them. Uh, we're, yes, he does. We were talking Hall of Fame last couple seconds here. Everyone asks Hall of Famers this. I feel like I should ask you the steroid era. It comes up every January. Your thoughts on the, the 90s players, 2000s players getting into the Hall of Fame? Well, I think if there is 
a reasonable amount of evidence that they're tainted, they should not be there. What is going to happen, I fear, is that young guys, maybe like you, the ones who, the writers who are coming in are... Well, I appreciate the young comment, by the way. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> a little into politics, too. <laughs> but I think that they're going to come in and they're going to start uh, getting votes, and, and they're not going to remember what happened in 90. They're going to see a guy, and they don't care how he did it. Uh, and I'm sure there are a, number, a lot of people who don't care how they did it. But I think as the voting part of the Baseball Writers of America changes to a younger, I think that will probably start happening then. And I think uh, one of the things that the steroid guys do, do not want, if they were involved, if they're tainted, they don't want to fall to the Veterans Committee. Because if they fall to the Veterans Committee, they got no chance. I appreciate your time. Like I said, it was a crime that you weren't in the Hall of Fame right away. Uh, longevity and winning a lot of games should get you in the Hall of Fame right away. Uh, Don, I really appreciate your time. Hall of Famer Don Sutton here on Baseball and Beyond. Oh, he has one more thought before we wrap. Yeah, I think our lighting today was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we did have a little phone call in the middle, so there's some editing. Baseball and Beyond, thanks for uh, listening. Follow us on iTunes and follow me on Twitter at Brad Stravinger. Thanks for listening.